My name is Zach Arnold. I'm a Hollywood film and television editor, a documentary director, father of two, and creator of Optimize Yourself. Since beginning my career, I have battled attention issues, anxiety, and creative burnout more times than I can keep track of. Back in 2005, after almost losing the battle with suicidal depression, I decided that I no longer wanted to sacrifice myself for the sake of my career. I was done barely surviving. I wanted to thrive. Since then, I have obsessively searched for every possible way to optimize my own creative performance. My journey is far from complete, but I have now made it my mission to shorten your learning curve so you can forge your own path to greatness without having to sacrifice balance in the process. Now it's time to start designing the optimized version of you. Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Optimize Yourself podcast where I provide my written articles in audio form so you have the opportunity to listen instead of read if that's your preference. My hope is that you're going to use this opportunity to get up and step away from your chair for the next 20 to 25 minutes and build the habit of moving more throughout your workday. The following is a reading of my article titled Five Things That Every Editor Can Do to Build Trust and Keep Clients, which I wrote for the website Frame.io Insider, a fantastic blog and product that I highly recommend to anybody who works in creative fields, especially if you're an editor like me. The article can be found at optimizeyourself.me slash build trust, and that's with no spaces, slash build trust. The article reading will begin after a brief break to recognize our sponsor who makes this podcast possible. This episode is made possible by ErgoDriven, the makers of the Topomat, my number one recommendation for anyone interested in moving more at their height adjustable workstation. The Topomat is scientifically proven to help you move more throughout your day, which helps reduce discomfort and also increase your focus and productivity. To learn more, visit optimizeyourself.me slash topo. That's T-O-P-O. Avid Media Composer, Adobe Premiere, Final Cut Pro X, DaVinci Resolve. I could debate until the end of time which piece of software is the most important to learn if you want to be a successful editor. Regardless of which NLE I believe has the most likelihood of leading you to success, I would be wrong. And so would you. We are not keyboard monkeys. We are storytellers. Our ability to tell compelling and engaging stories and make an audience feel something supersedes our knowledge of any specific piece of software. Yet so many people in the post-production industry get hung up on the hard skills that are needed to climb the ladder to success. They believe that if they become AVID certified, that they have a higher probability of landing the next job. But most clients, producers, and directors honestly don't care if you're certified or not. They care if you can tell compelling stories, move people emotionally, and deliver on deadline. And most importantly, they care whether or not they can work with you in a dark room for 60 hours a week without you murdering each other. Of course, you need to have software proficiency to get and keep good jobs, but once you get beyond entry-level positions, software proficiency is automatically assumed. I haven't had a job interview in over a decade where I was asked, are you familiar with the latest editing software? Once you have become proficient in your NLE of choice, I suggest you stop focusing on getting 5% better at learning software and instead start focusing on the soft skills that are necessary to build meaningful relationships with people that you would like to work with for years to come. 
The most important soft skill that you must master if you intend to have a lasting and fulfilling career as an editor is becoming quote-unquote great in the room. Here's the difference between proficient editors and those who are considered great in the room. A good editor can often be seen as another set of hands executing notes as requested. A great editor, on the other hand, often becomes the number one choice for clients, directors, and producers when they're hiring for the next project because they enjoy working with them so much in the room. So if you're interested in becoming an editor who is considered great in the room, there are only two things that you have to focus on, trust and comfort. If you can make your collaborators, your clients, directors, producers, etc., trust your creative abilities and feel comfortable working with you, you have the ability to build a referral network that will provide a safety net and ensure that you always have another job lined up without you ever having to look for work again. Yes, you can be that good. Here are five practical approaches that any editor can apply to their work to build trust with collaborators and establish a feeling of comfort and therefore be considered great in the room. Number one, create a safe environment, i.e. a no chaos zone. Filmmaking is messy. As editors, we have the luxury of a controlled space, usually. But when you're a director or a producer, you have to deal with every single fire that arises, whether it's a script problem, a costume that has gone missing, a temperamental actor or actress, or studio executives that are emphatically demanding more results in less time, and of course, with less money. As an editor, I see myself as not just a creative collaborator helping to write the story one last time. I also see myself as a therapist to the directors, producers, and showrunners. After a long day of dealing with nothing but problems, my goal is for the editorial suite to function as a zen space where people can decompress, share their challenges with me openly, and feel like they left my room just a bit calmer, more focused, and confident that the project is going to be amazing and delivered on time. Creating this zen space and serving as therapist, it doesn't require a PhD in cognitive behavioral therapy. There's only one simple thing that you have to do consistently to enable an environment of trust. Listen. That's it. Just listen. If a director or a producer rushes into your room, shuts the door in a hurry, and they huff and puff on your couch, ask them what's wrong, and then listen. Your willingness to let collaborators unload their burdens onto you, and then them knowing that what is shared in your edit suite stays in your edit suite, will enable a feeling of trust that can build the foundation of a genuine and lasting relationship. Furthermore, as an editor, it's quite common to feel like a child stuck between two divorced parents. The director might say, do this and don't listen to the producer, while the producer is saying an hour later, ah, the director's an idiot. Just make this change and don't tell him that I told you to. And shortly after, you get a call from the studio giving you completely different notes that supersede both the director and the producer. Your job as the editor is not to take sides. Your job is to show allegiance to the story and to deliver the best final product possible. Enabling trust does not require siding with one party or the other. You build trust when you function as an effective mediator and you get everybody on the same page. In my edit suite, it doesn't matter who makes the suggestion. The best idea always wins, even if it comes from the janitor. Number two, accept that everyone has their own process and set clear expectations on day one. Creatives are just weird. We all have our own way of doing things, and we're all convinced that our way is the best way. 
If you want to build lasting relationships with collaborators who want to work with you again and again, you have to let go of the idea that your process is the best process. Some directors, they want to give you a boatload of notes and let you do your thing. Other directors will turn your edit suite into their own personal conference room and spend days on your couch. And other directors spend 12 hours a day sitting next to you with their feet kicked up practically on top of your keyboard. When you begin working with someone that you've never worked with before, talk with them about what they prefer, rather than assuming that they want to work your way. You'll find that when it comes to the editorial process, even some experienced directors and producers often don't have a single way of doing things because they often begrudgingly just do what the editor tells them to do. If you simply ask them how they'd like to work, most directors will respond with tremendous gratitude because nobody ever bothers to ask. Once you've had an honest conversation about the process that you both think will work best, make sure to set clear expectations going forwards. For example, if you and your collaborator just sit down and say, let's get to work, as you hit the play button, they might start giving you notes. You assume that they want to do the notes right then and there, so you stop playback and you start making changes. But their assumption was that you would simply write down their thoughts and execute everything after they brain dumped their notes onto you. So now they're annoyed because they have a 3 p.m. meeting across town, yet they're watching you scrub through a single edit and massage it by three frames. If the person that you're working with is experienced, they're most likely going to say, oh, you know what? I'm sorry. My plan was just to give you the notes and have you do them after I leave. But if this person is a bit less experienced, they might actually feel intimidated saying so. So then they spend hours sitting on your couch thinking, oh my God, is this boring? I wish I could just give notes and leave now, but wait, am I okay to do that? Is that how this process works? The number one rule of post-production is never assume. Talk upfront about the process and make sure that you are both approaching the material from the same direction with the same expectations. This allows your collaborators to feel comfortable with you. Number three, embrace and experiment with new ideas, no matter how stupid. Everybody has stupid ideas, no matter where they are in their career, and there will always be bad notes. Many long for the day when they have finally made it so they can work with people who know what they're doing and no longer make bad suggestions. Keep dreaming. You will be bombarded with bad ideas your entire career. Bad ideas are where great ideas begin. Your job is to help shepherd the terrible ideas down the path to becoming brilliant ones. Come out the other side wowing your collaborators with results that they never expected, and they're going to trust you with any future ideas, big or small. The first step to embracing all ideas, no matter how stupid, is abolishing the phrases, no, I can't, and that won't work from your vocabulary. The term grumpy editor, eh, it exists for a reason. Ask most directors or producers to quickly describe the process of working with an editor, and there's a good chance that you're gonna hear the word curmudgeon. Don't be that editor. Be willing to collaborate, listen, and embrace ideas that at first might seem completely ridiculous. As the editor, you know the material better than anybody else on that project, including the director or the producer that you're working with. This is why they trust you, but this can also get you in trouble. Making the assumption that you know the material better than anybody else can very quickly lead to the assumption that you also have the best ideas for how to assemble that footage. Remember, the best idea always wins, and it might not be yours. If someone suggests that you make every character in the scene pink and put purple polka dots all over their faces, resist the urge to immediately say, 
Yeah, there's no way that that's going to work, moron. Instead, embrace the opportunity to explore new ideas with the understanding that you're going to do everything you can to present the best version of this awful note. After all, you have no excuse not to, given that it costs nothing to duplicate your timeline. If you take this approach with your closest collaborators and you've proved to them on a regular basis that you've put 100% effort into every single one of their notes, this gives you much more license down the road to honestly say, you know what, I don't think that's going to work, or I tried that and it just wasn't working. If the person that you're working with knows that you gave it everything and you always do, they will trust that you're probably right and they'll just move on to the next idea. Number four. Become a ninja at finding the note behind the note. While you might see the world through a very creative lens, many of the collaborators that you work with might not. It's not uncommon to receive notes from executives, non-creative producers, or the janitor's grandmother's cousin who just happened to get access to your cut. And often those of us who understand storytelling scratch our heads wondering, how do they come up with this stuff? For example, The best note that I've ever received in my entire career was a studio note from Fox Home Entertainment after reviewing a TV spot for The Passion of the Christ. And their main note, it was, can you just make it happier? You cannot make this stuff up. While there are certainly some notes that you have to politely dismiss out of hand, the vast majority of notes that seem ridiculous, uninformed, ignorant, or downright dumb might actually have some truth buried underneath. Unfortunately, most notes are written to suggest potential solutions, whereas the real problem might not even be addressed at all, even if you follow the note as indicated. In this case, it's your job to find the note behind the note. Our default mode as humans is to point out problems that are obvious and provide potential solutions to fix those problems. Unfortunately, storytelling isn't that simple. For example, a contractor who is called in to address a water leak in the ceiling has a couple of options. He can either put pots under the leak to make sure that the floor doesn't get wet, or he can go on the roof and fix the hole that's causing the leak. Storytelling is infinitely more complex than a water leak. If a note tells you that this scene is too slow, so let's lift it, the best solution might have nothing to do with this scene at all. If your gut instinct is that the scene should stay, think much deeper about why somebody's first reaction is to cut the scene. Perhaps you've received this note because three scenes prior, there is a story point that is overlooked, and without that specific story point, the intent of the scene in question is confusing. With confusion comes boredom, and with boredom comes the instinct to cut a slow scene. Enabling trust and a feeling of comfort with your fellow collaborators often requires you to think twice before executing their notes. Your default mode should not be simply to cross off each note and say, here, I did exactly what you asked even if something isn't working. Instead, take the time to dig into the larger intention of each note by asking why. When you do that, your collaborators will know that you always have one goal in mind, telling the best story possible. Number five, become so fast that you can finish people's sentences and find any shot instantly. While some might not admit it, most people, including editors, hate sitting on a couch watching people edit. Watching someone shuttle through footage and assemble when you're not clued into their internal thought process is akin to watching paint dry. Luckily, and unluckily, directors and producers come prepared with their smartphones, and they often pass the time scrolling through Instagram, Facebook, and keeping up with their email while you plot along from note to note. 
Your goal as an editor is to become so fast at executing their notes in the room that they never have to whip out their phones. My goal with every director or producer that I work with is to be able to anticipate their needs even before they say it, then act accordingly. For example, if we're working on a dialogue scene and they've expressed that the scene isn't feeling emotional enough, I'm already thinking about multiple ways that I can fix this problem. If we're scrolling along and I'm asked to stop on a medium shot and the person that I'm working with says, you know what, I'm thinking this shot, well, it would be more emotional if we used a close-up. I might then follow up by saying, I'm way ahead of you, something like this. At this point, I have already queued up the close-up version of the line in question. You're not always gonna be right, but the more that you listen and pay attention, the better you're going to get at being able to anticipate the needs of others. Being able to anticipate your client's thoughts, it's not a skill that you can develop overnight. And it certainly isn't something that you automatically do successfully the first time that you work with someone new. But there's one thing that you have to have complete control over that will vastly increase your ability to move quickly. Be organized. If a director says, hey, can I take a look at the insert of the book on the table? And it takes you five minutes to find the shot in question, you have lost. Know your material inside and out and use whatever organizational system you need so that all pertinent material is a single click away. Prep time at the beginning of a project can make you look like a hero down the line when there's no room in the schedule for error. The more consistently that you can demonstrate that you are intimately familiar with the material and can find anything at the snap of a finger, the more collaborators will trust that you are the true guardian of the footage and the less that they will question you when you say things like, I'm sorry, but that shot just doesn't exist. Just remember, when the smartphone comes out, it's game over. Good editors versus rockstar editors. Good editors focus on the what and the how. They are proficient with their editing software, they execute the notes in front of them, and they service their clients' needs with a good attitude. There's nothing wrong with being a good editor. But if you truly want to become a rock star editor, you have to be willing to dig much deeper into the why behind every note. And rather than focusing all of your time and energy on just getting better at using software, you must also prioritize improving your ability to make collaborators trust you and feel comfortable with you in the edit suite. I hope you enjoyed the reading of my article titled Five Things That Every Editor Can Do to Build Trust and Keep Clients, which can be found at optimizeyourself.me slash build trust. I hope that you are inspired to take at least one action step towards reaching your own greatest creative potential and that listening to this article gave you the opportunity to step away from your desk and incorporate just a little bit of movement into your day. Thank you for listening. Be well. This episode of the Optimize Yourself podcast was made possible by ErgoDriven, the makers of the Topo Mat and Topo Mini, my number one recommendations for anyone interested in moving more at their height-adjustable workstation. Listen, standing desks are only great if you're standing well. Otherwise, you're constantly fighting fatigue and chronic pain. Not like any other anti-fatigue mat, the Topo is scientifically proven to help you move more throughout the day, which helps reduce discomfort and also increase your focus and productivity. My friends at ErgoDriven did extensive testing and compared their product to the top-of-the-line floor mats, and they found the Topo drove almost two and a half more moves per minute with 270% more foot motion. Now, what this simply means is that the Topo users move more. I'm standing on one as I read this, and I don't go to a single job without it.
And if you're smaller and you're concerned the topo mat is too big or you simply don't have the floor space, there's a topo mini for that. To learn more, visit optimizeyourself.me topo. That's T-O-P-O.